edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Dan the Man, joined today by Jason Tuttle, the Bearded Wonder. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Looking forward to, uh, to this cast. Wonderful. And uh, joining me is the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how are you doing today? You know, I, I wish I could say I was doing good. I, I, I'm having some problems with the wife. Some problems with the wife. What's going on? Yeah, well, she's having some problems at work with her boss. And she came home and she said she needed to cover her ass. So I told her, you know, there was a, if she went down the block to the ball field, there was a big old tarp. <laughs> oh. So, I mean, the good thing is all, all the bruises are concealed and the bleeding is internal. So I'm good. Well, at least we know uh, uh, who won that one. Yes, sir. And like I said, friends, we have a special guest today. Joining us is a true legend, Hall of Famer. If you were to have a Mount Rushmore of Memphis, he would be on it. If you were to have a Mount Rushmore of Southern Wrestling, he would be on it. A multiple-time champion in multiple territories across the world and the country. Uh, we are joined by the great, the legendary, Bill Dundee. Bill, how are you doing? Gentlemen, I'm doing real good. How about y'all doing? Well, other than uh, some of Benny's bruises, sounds like we're doing fine. <laughs> Yeah, I was just listening to that. I thought, I'm not touching that. That'll just go over my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know some of the uh, so, some of some of the women you've worked with through the years could uh, could lay a whooping on you too. So you can never never underestimate how how tough a good a good fighter a good girl could be. Oh, right? I hear you there. But yeah, but I mean, back in the good old days, they made the women wrestle too. I don't know what they do today. I don't really know. They all look pretty enough working for Vince, but I just don't know how much of them can actually wrestle. Wrestle, man. <laughs> right. Well, Bill, uh, we started. This is your uh, second time on the program. We had you on previously, and we touched on your career in Memphis and your run through the AWA. You had a lot of good stories about Jerry Lawler. You gave us your side of the story of your infamous interaction with the Poffo brothers. Uh, I, the, the, the plan today was to, was to look at your career after the AWA. So maybe from about 85 to 87 onward. However, I'm going to throw the first question to Benny, cause he mentioned some stuff we, we didn't cover in your Memphis days. And, uh, he's got a really good question for you. So Benny, first question to you. Okay. I'll try to fight through the pain here. So, um, Mr. Dundee. So, um, back in the day, if I was a, if I was a fan, uh, in, in Memphis, I could look forward to every Monday night going to the Mid-South Coliseum. Now, I, I live about 20 minutes from Tampa. I'm lucky if the WWE comes here once or twice a year. And so I, this is a two-part question. I guess the first question is, how did you guys keep the people coming in every single week and selling that place out? And, and then number two, uh, I was watching some old, old uh, Memphis wrestling, and I saw a team called the Freedom Fighters. They weren't there that long. Uh, I don't remember. Do you have any experience working with them? Yeah, that was Sting and Ultimate Warrior, yes. right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They were just green kids when they did that gimmick. They just come in here and they were big, and that was the name somebody put on them or gave them Jerry Jarrett or Lawler or somebody, the Freedom Fighters, and they were greener than grass, but they learned. Did you feel, uh, I want to jump on that, did you feel that they were, easy to work, uh, easy to train. I know uh, sometimes we, you, you see somebody who's green and you just know that's that guy's going to make it. 
Yeah, I mean, they understood the difference between how big they were and how little we was, or they understood the difference on a big guy, little guy match, you know what I mean? They just didn't go out there and destroy you. They would sell and do everything they were supposed to do, but they were working with Lawler, they were working with me, so it wasn't like they were working with nobody. That's fair. Um, to, to Benny's second point, you guys... Uh, we, we talked about this on the last show, too. The, the Memphis Arena was sold out every week, every Monday. Most of the time, yeah. Most Mondays, yeah. And uh, anybody that's ever watched the Memphis tapes, you saw, you see easily two, three people every show getting carted off by the police because somebody was jumping the barricade. I know watching the watching the, the Territory tapes when I was a kid, I saw women jumping the barricade. Heaven forbid you put your hand on Terry Taylor or or you put your hand on one, on one of the Rock and Roll Express, and women were going to jump the jump in the ring for you. Oh yeah, uh, it, it was uh, the, the the boys did not understand today what being over means. Ricky and Robert were over like sons of gun. Terry Taylor was, Bill Dundee was, Lawler was. We'd switch back and forth, heel babyface, so the. We wasn't all together babyface, but yeah, they liked this and then we was cute. So that was the other thing. Well, it, to to uh, expand on Benny's point, you guys, I mean, every week you had huge crowds and the modern product uh, doesn't come through very often. And even only being here once or twice a year won't sell out. What did you guys do to... To, to keep the crowd so interested and so invested every week to have that many people, the same people mostly, every week. Well, here's the thing. The bicycle tape was 42 minutes. That was the one that went to Louisville, Evansville, Lexington, Tupelo, all the other towns. that were, But we made it here in Memphis, and the Memphis TV was an hour and a half. So you had a 90 minutes every Saturday morning to get them to come the next week, the next Monday. So it, we had an hour and a half to do whatever we wanted to do, and the rest of it was 42 minutes for the bicycle tape. So we had an hour and a half to get the people ready to go. Nice. Okay. Um, I, I want to look at the further career. I know you, you obviously, your your Memphis matches and territory days were legendary, and you, you talked to you about your feuds with Lawler and your run in the AWA. You and Jerry Lawler were, I believe, two-time AWA tag champions. Uh, yeah. Following following that run in '86, you, you went through. Uh, the, the, obviously, you worked with Crockett. You had had a run in the NWA, uh, Central States, and FCW. Uh, during this time, uh, you had a, a team with uh, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Now, I was hoping you could kind of shed some light on that because that was really a contrast of styles and mannerisms. And from what I understand, your your backstage personalities weren't really the same either how did that how did that team come about you and you and uh, garvin big dust was the booker so that, and that he was said garvin i'm going to team you up with dundee dundee i'm going to team you up with garvin and you better like it so <laughs> that was the name of that too <laughs> so, so, that, that was so we did the best we could to like it <laughs> that was that was entirely just dusty Rhodes saying i got two talents and uh you guys are a team right. now go yeah, that was just what it was. There was no real, you know what I mean? It was, there was no real tie-up with me and Garvin. It was just one of them things with Big Dust had it in his mind to do this and that. So he was the man, so we did it. Now, now uh, to continue with that, how did you feel, like, as far as that team goes? How Did you, did you enjoy working with Garvin? I know that was kind of different from what you had been doing before. Yeah, we had Garvin and Precious because he had the manager of the girl. 
right. his wife. So Precious and Garvin came as a team. So if you, you know, and I had never really worked that type tag match with a lady valet, but it, it, you know, we got it. We was healed, so we got over, and it was. I mean, I enjoyed it. I can't say I didn't. They were nice people, and I got along good with them away from the business. So, what can you say? Now, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. Being uh, you, you, you and Gorgeous uh, Gorgeous Garvin were heels. How did that? How did that feel? I know last time you talked about it, it wasn't a big deal, heel or face. Um, transitioning from being one of the most over beloved stars to now being a heel with with a new partner and a, a female valet. How, how did that? How did that transition go about for you? Well, that was the, the part that made it just the difference. It wasn't just little Billy Dundee trying to get heat by himself. We had Garvin in the valet, so I mean, it was just it made it easier. Let's put it that way. Okay. Garvin was a heel most of the time. He had the valet and his wife, and we did, you know, so it it it, it helped. I can understand that, Jason. I see you kind of nodding and chomping at the bit a little bit. You got Bill Dundee on the line. You got a question for the legend? Uh. Could you, uh, first off, it's, it's an honor to uh, have you on the show and to be able to talk to you tonight. Uh, could you kind of explain uh, travel, how it was to travel uh, back in the day? Well, it was really easy in this there because it was all done by car. So we just, we started off in Memphis and we ended up back in Memphis the next Monday. So it was seven days a week in the car. Hmm. But we all lived in Nashville, most of us, so you could get to go home to Nashville in between times. If you was going up to Louisville, Kentucky, you would go home to Nashville, sleep, get up, and go to Louisville, Evansville, Ebeniana on the Wednesday, Lexington, Kentucky on the Thursday. So Nashville was the base, and we all lived there. We would just drive out of there every day. So, Bill, as, as compared to, like, a Mid-South, I'm assuming the commute was a little bit easier in the Memphis Territory. <laughs> Oh, Mid-South, oh my God, you, you just lived in that friggin' car. That was <laughs> a big territory, all the way from Louisiana to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and all you know, in between and all the places we worked. It was a big territory. But you made money, so it wasn't like we was doing it for free, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. Did, you, did you travel with any of the uh, other wrestlers, or did you travel by yourself? No, I mean, when me and Garvin were steamed up, you'd all go together like Garvin. And when I was steamed up with Tommy Rich in Memphis, me and him would ride up and down the road together. If you had a partner or just if you liked the person. So that business, it's just like everyone else. If you don't get along with your co-workers, it's, it, it sucks. So I used to try to get along with everybody. And if we had to ride with them, that was okay, too. Right. You know. Uh, Bill, I'm glad Jason asked about travel because uh, something I was hoping we could touch on a little bit more is you you in this day and age uh, of the Memphis territory and you mentioned Louisville and going all around. Uh, those were some of the most dedicated fans. I know the the stories I remember to being told of the the, the Midnight Express having to have police escorts because fans would slash their tires and whatnot. And. Uh, how did you guys go about in the travels? Can, can you kind of shed some light or maybe have a story or two about keeping kayfabe when you guys were traveling in that, in that well, territory that, but, where you see, had today everybody knows Everybody knows that word today, and it just fucking sucks. But it, it, back then, 
you nobody talked about. The heels just never rode with the good guys, or vice versa. You never even went to one another's house. So I guess the word you kayfabe was was enforced. If anybody caught you doing something stupid, you was out of a job. But it's just that's just how it was back then. It was real to us, and we were convincing the people it was real. So that that was how we all looked at it. Well, continuing with that, then, do you have any good travel stories that you'd be willing to share with us? Well, I mean, as far as coming home was the, the, the when after you do, you'd get your six pack of beer and you would drink and do something stupid, maybe on the way home. But on the way to the town, it was just a matter of getting in your car and getting there and getting to the dressing room. And then I always worked in an office, so it was my job to set up the show or help set up the show or do whatever. So going to the town was a little different than coming home. So once you'd done the show and it was good and you'd made a few dollars, you'd get a six-pack of beer or a 12-pack and you would drink them on the way home. So there was more fun happened on the way home, guys throwing bottles at one another or trying to race one another or something stupid. But most of the time you did it seven days a week, so it was a job to us. And we wasn't, you know what I mean, we just did it and went home and, that was the main thing. Get there, get your job done, get home. I like yeah. it. Benny, the uh, next question is to you. Go for it. Well, I want to, I guess, before I ask mine, were there, Bill, were there any classic rivers in the Memphis territory or actually anywhere where you wrestled? No, yeah, there was a few, but I was always the booger and worked in an office. Nobody really ribbed me. I mean, that was the one good thing about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was a few, but. Like I said, we did it seven days a week every day. So by the time the first months in, you're you're not really wanting to rib nobody. You just want to get to the town and get home. Right. Okay. So my question. So today's actually my 65th birthday. Well, happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. After this interview, I'm going back to the home for some uh, shuffleboard and pudding. But. um, <laughs> what else? I hear you knocking. So, so Bill, at a, at a at a time in most people's lives where, like, literally, you know, men that you know in their seventies are playing shuffleboard or they're you know wandering around the mall looking for a, a frozen yogurt, you are still winning championship belts. You won the I guess it's Game Changer Wrestling TV title last year at the age yeah. of seventy five. So yeah. You know, I'm I'm a huge sports enthusiast. You know, my baseball's my passion, but you know, most baseball players by the time they're, you know, 35, 38, 40, they're gone and like you won't see them in a uniform. You might see them in the front office or, you know, another type of sports executive job. But what is it about wrestling that once a wrestler has has it in their blood, it never goes away? I don't really know. It's like getting into it. You, you know how it's going to be when you get into it most of the time or do the thing. See, I started off in judo, and I was an amateur wrestler, so I could do both. But And then professional wrestling, you know, I mean, okay, we're, we're not going to kid one another here. We're not trying to kill one another. I'll grant you that. But it's an art forum, and it's very, it's harder than it looks. You know what I mean? People say, oh, I can do that. Yeah, okay, try it. it, it, it it's harder than it looks. If you see, like me and Lala work, it it looks so easy because we're both good at what we do, and right. you think, "Oh hell, I could do that." You know, yeah. And and you made just it give so it a go, and we'll see how good you can do it. How did how do you? Uh, great question, Benny. Um, let me let me have you touch on that a little bit. How do you compare 
the talent you're working with today, guys in their 20s and 30s, to the way guys in their 20s and 30s were back when you were that age? How do you compare the difference in talent? Well, it's it's all it's all together different. It's like how do you compare a movie to John Wayne? We all knew how he did. Well, I tell you, Pilgrim, and uh, the way he drawled and he did the thing, and he he was the man, John Wayne. I I couldn't tell you one wrestler Vince McMahon has today to to fly into the moon. I don't watch it. I don't know nobody. So it's just it's not what I did, and I don't do it. So you know what I mean. I I don't really know how other guys feel, but. To me, it's just, it was real to me, like I said, and I would like everybody else to think that. So we tried to make it that. I like it. Jason, you, uh, you want to expand on this at all? Uh, that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask. Uh, I, I I wish Kefe was still alive and breathing. Uh, I miss those days. Um, in your off in your off time, what little bit you may have, since you said you're working uh, seven days a week, uh, did you have any uh, instances where somebody would come up to you, like if you were in the at the gas station or, or grocery store, and you know try to make a scene with you, or just come up and uh, give you praise and ask for autographs? No, that that was what most of them did. There was a, there was very few come up and wanted to be mad at you. So the, 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 most of the time, they just wanted your autograph or to tell them their mother was in love with you or their grandma or something like that. They'd say, oh, my mama thinks you're a great Bob, and off they would go. So most of the time, in fact, all the time, it was good rapport with the people. Okay. So, Bill, if... No, I had a few beefs in a bar, but we're all drinking and stupid. So, I mean, that wasn't just always the other guy's fault either. Bill was just as bad for that. So, you know what I mean? But most of the time on the street, if you're pumping gas and they come up, it's all nice. Hey, Bill, how you doing? I hope you beat Lawler Monday. I saw you last Saturday on TV, blah, blah, blah. So it's all good. It's a good rapport that way. You, you know, it's it's funny, Bill. In recent weeks, we've had uh, Sam Houston and Magnum TA, <clears throat> excuse me, and Karen McDaniel, Wahoo's wife, and they all had stories about how great fans were, and then they all also had stories about somebody in the bar wanting to step up to the big wrestler and – Obviously, that especially in the case of of uh, Wahoo, that was not that didn't work out well for the trunks. No, I mean Wahoo, yeah, yeah it, it, and it usually don't if the guy has any balls at all. The wrestler will win, but most of the time it has to be in a bar and everybody drinking. On a, on a normal day, if you stop to get gas or you stop at a store, you, everybody's nice. I like it, Benny. You uh, you had something to say? Go ahead. Yeah, Bill. When so when you were working as a heel. And somebody would come up to you and say at the grocery store, did you have to stay in character as a heel or how did that work? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you, you can be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You could be mannerably as a heel too. You just say, hey man, I don't sign autographs. You don't have to customer okay. tell them just if they want your autographs, say, hey man, I don't sign autographs. So, and just wander off. You don't have to cut oh, I'm not signing up. You, know, you don't have to go that far. Just tell them you don't do it. But then again, the other thing is, when I was a heel, if they took the time to come up and ask you for an autograph, I would sign it anyway. If they took you know, the time to come talk to you, so I mean, that's what they want, that's what I would give them. I'm glad you said that, Bill, because I was going to ask you about that, especially in uh, Memphis. I know you and, and Jerry Lawler were, like I said, the Mount Rushmore of Memphis. You both belong on it. Right. 
And there were runs where both of you ran as heels, but still got the best reactions in the crowd. In the era right. when you had to, to stay in character, did you have, when you were the supposedly the villain, did you have fans come up to you that didn't care you were the villain? They still just loved Bill Dundee? Like, yeah, that, 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 that Memphis was like that. If when you were over in Memphis, the people that loved you loved you, heel, baby face, or do whatever, they didn't care. They just, if they thought Bill Dundee was it, they would get an autograph from him. If they thought Lala was it, they would get from him or Jackie Fargo or whatever. So th this town here is a unique town, but like I said, it was an hour and a half TV every Saturday and every Monday we was up Memphis, so people knew what was going on. Did you, uh, Angelo asked on the last show, did you, with this, with the crowds being as big as they were all the time, did, did you guys start getting a special rapport? I know watching a lot of the old Memphis tapes, even as a kid, I recognized half a dozen, eight, nine, ten people that were in the same seats in the same crowd oh, every week yeah. for months. Did you did, yeah. did the performers you, you, you and wrestlers could tell start who getting... was in the front? Yeah, you could tell who was in the front row. Yeah, sometimes they wouldn't get until a little later. There would be the show would start and there would be four seats empty, but you knew who was coming to get them. <laughs> did Did you guys have a special rapport with those fans, or? Oh yeah, they they liked you, and you liked them. I mean, this is what we did for a living, and it was getting people in them seats every week is what you did. So, the good guy that was the good guy's job to be nice to the people. Okay, I like it. Well, I want to uh, look at another part of your career. Uh, the previous two part interview we did was with I mentioned Cowboy Sam Houston. And I know you guys had a, a pretty good run, a feud over the NWA Central States Championship. Uh, he, it was 1986, for, for those that, that don't remember, he, won, he defeated you in the finals of a tournament to win the title, and then you won it from him in 87. Uh, as a friend of the show, and uh, uh, he had a lot of good things to say about you, do you have any, any good stories about our, our friend Cowboy? Oh, yeah, he was a hell of a worker, and he was Grizzly Smith's son. You know who yes. Grizzly is? He worked for Bill Watts, and I was the booker. Grizzly was my right-hand man. So, yeah, me and Sam got along real good away back then because I, like I said, knew his dad, and then, you know, and I knew Sam, and Sam would be, say, well, you've been around Sam. He's, he's not hard to like. No, not he's at all. He's a very impressionable guy, and he talks nice, and he's, so, I mean, what was there not to like about him? And he could work. Now, l let me ask you, uh, since since we're on that topic, uh, he had a very unique style for for his uh, for his time, a combination of the striking and the moving. And obviously, I, I mentioned it in the show. I still think Sam Houston has the prettiest bulldog I've ever seen. Yeah. How did that, how did that work uh, going from some of the heavier hitters to someone like a Sam Houston who could do a little bit of both, both the technical fist-to-fist, fist and move in the ring. Well, I could do it too, so it was real easy for us. When you get come unstuck with doing what you, if you don't know the guy's style or you can't do the actual wrestling move, then one of us, you one of you is lost, you know what I mean, if you're both trying to do them. So I could do them, he could do them, so everything worked. I mean, it was just, this how it was. I mean, and I'm not meaning this in bad, but if you watch Rick Flair's match, it's the same match every time. Yeah. Go back and watch him and watch what he does. He doesn't do. He doesn't have lip. Nothing. Nothing. He was. He was good at what he did, but what he did was the same shit every night. <laughs> when you watch Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee match, you don't know what they're gonna do. 
That is very true. Now, yeah, I mean, that... I'm not just knocking Flair. He was the world's champion, and he made a lot of money at this business. But I'm just saying that, just for for instance. No, you're you're absolutely right. Anybody, uh, some of the biggest names in wrestling, if you really break down, they had the same ten minutes of match a thousand right. times in a row, but they did right. it so well that everybody you, you just you just loved it. Yeah, but it was the same thing every night. Well, then, in that in that case, uh, obviously, how how does that go about? Uh, we talked, we touched on the the bookers, and, and when you say with you and Lawler, where you guys are are a different match every night, calling in the ring, what's the mindset? The different mindset between going out there not knowing how your match is going to work versus maybe going out there understanding a bit of how the match is going to play out. What are the differences in that mindset? Go getting into the ring. Well, to me, it was just tabletting. I mean, once you get out there, how do you know what the people want? You know what I'm saying? There's 10,000 people in the building. Yeah, 8,000 was there last week, and there may be 2,000 new people that that Monday night. But you you have to feel what they want when you get in the ring, and you you can, you know, once you've been around a while, you can kind of feel what the people are into and what they want and what they don't like. So I used to try to give it to him. Okay. I can and then that. when you're little, just the big guy jumps on you and beats, kicks your ass. They'll just get with you. Go, Bill, go. And then that's just what it is. So when you make the comeback, here you go. Bam, bam, bam. And do whatever the finish is. So that's how it works. That's how it worked back in the day. So. Okay. I like it. Jason, you have uh, another question for Bill? Yeah. Um, you mentioned Flair doing the same uh, set of moves. Do you do you think that's uh, just using them as an example? Uh, do you think that's more of uh, lack of uh, skill on uh, knowing other moves, or just you know showing the fans the the moves that they've seen on TV? Or you know you're always going to see him get hit and do the running around on the 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 ring ropes or, you know, the figure four, uh, was he just trying to do signature moves for the fans so that, you know, so they see those moves or just lack of knowledge? I don't think it was lack of knowledge because he'd been around a while and he ran over there in the Carolinas. I don't really know what he did, but it was all repetitive and it was the same thing. He would do that thing where he fell on his face. He walked around. So I don't really know what was going through his head. I know what mine was. I want, like I said, back in the good old days, I wanted to believe that I was the toughest son of a gun in the world. And this was real. And that's how we worked. Exactly. I mean, some of the shit that Rick did, it was just three studios. Right, right. I mean, everybody's seen like Hogan doing the, you know, the, the pose and all, or the big leg drop. I would be more interested in, uh, a match from you and Jerry, you know, just, I wouldn't know what to expect. And that right. I would think that would be the most realistic, you know, that would be actual a fight and not like a, a, a carnival. Right. That was what we tried to make it, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And now everybody knows it to work and do whatever, because they have exposed this business. They have used it and abused it and done everything else to it. But back in the good old days, you, you just didn't do that. I started this business in 1962 in Australia. And Mark Loon and Skull Murphy and Brute Bernard, all the big star Americans back in that day, would come to Australia for Jim Barnett. 
and and you know they you'd watch them and do what they did. And it was real to them and it was real to us. So that was how it was. But today it's just. They want to see how high they can jump off the damn top rope or what they can do or how far they can fly. I don't know what goes through their mind today. I don't really know, but I know if they work for me, you'll grab a hold and get it again, son. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. It, it's just a different different kettle of fish today. It's like John Wayne movies. Nobody goes see John Wayne no more, but he was the man at one time in the Western movie business. Yes, he was. Absolutely. You know, uh, Bill, I... I... That's a great segue because you mentioned and, and Jason had a great question with the the style. It, you mentioned kind of calling it in the ring and going out there and you played to the fans. Maybe if 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 uh, if a spot wasn't going to work or maybe you got a feel for the crowd, let's let's change something we were going to do. Do you feel that 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 style that calling it in the ring and moving uh, changing every match? Do you feel that added to the realism to the the feel of the authenticity of the sport versus the stunt show that wrestling has become. Yeah, today. right. I, I certainly do. And the other thing is if you can feel what they're buying. If, if the guy's putting a beer hug on you and you fight Nick Lennon and doing what you're doing and everything you can do, you can, the people starting to get with it, you can feel them when they start to get with you, whether you go Bill, go or whoever it is, go Jerry, go. You, you can feel the people and the electricity off the people and they feel that you're feeling it. So, there's more, I don't know what they do today, but like I said, jumping off the, the ceiling onto the middle of the ring, don't get it for me. <laughs> I understand. Benny, uh, next question is to you. So I, the, your first episode, uh, I was actually driving to work, and Angelo said something about it isn't fake when you fall out of the ring and you break your leg. And then Bill said it isn't fake when Bill Dundee punches you in the face. And right as I had a gulp of a Dunkin' Donuts coffee in my mouth, right when he said that, and it, it took a lot to gulp it down and not have it come out my nose. Um, still my, <laughs> I hear you. My question is, were there, I mean, I watched, you had a really, really good right hand, probably one of the best I've ever seen. Did you ever have a match with somebody, and when you got to the back, they were rubbing their jaw and saying, man, you were really laying that shit in there? Right, yeah. And then you, if they had any... Since you've had the the pleasure of knowing both of them, which is a debate that's come up on this program before, and Karen McDaniel has long claimed it was uh, it was her husband. Uh, in your opinion, since you you are a true expert of the business, especially in that day, who had the better chop, Wahoo McDaniel or Ric Flair? Uh, I was a lot younger when Wahoo was in Australia, and he would chop you there. That was his finisher. The one that hurt me, I don't know, they're both, I hated that, I didn't care if the Lord himself did it, I hated it, it was just a slap to me, and I don't care if it was Wahoo, or if it was Flair doing it, it was a slap to the chest, and I didn't like it, it stung, so either one of them could light you up, you know what I mean? I understand, well then, uh, I want to touch on, on Benny's question then, uh, 
since we always look at the the backstage stories on this program, you had and and Benny nailed it. You had such a pretty right right punch. Do, do you have any uh, you want to spill any dirt on on who uh, who had the glass jaw that you worked with? No, they would bitch when they got to the back, but they'd never really say much in the ring. Oh, they would hit your back. I mean, that was one thing, the good old days, if somebody sputted you in the ring and you thought, well, one's not too bad, but if you get another one, you're given the receipt right there. So, yeah, you, you just ended it before it got going. If I, and I've hit a guy a little hard, and he's hit me back, So, and I know why I did it, so it's gone. I like it. Um, something that's come up, and and your your question reminded me it's a video it's been making the rounds uh recently social media uh mark calloway the for the fans better known as the undertaker was on a podcast telling a story of his first wrestling match and he was with bruiser brody and he was green and he stepped out of bounds and he told the story that brody put him back put him straight in the ring did you have any uh, any dealings with that where you were dealing with somebody that was a little green and maybe too big for their britches and you had to you had to set them straight? Oh well, yeah, I mean if if to do that, but most of the people know who you are. I mean if he was just starting, the, the Undertaker wasn't he a big old boy back then too? So I, I who was he working with? Do you know? Uh, his, he said his very very first match was with Bruiser Brody, and he oh fuck me uh, oh god <laughs> yeah he, he, he tells yeah, the story that will answer your question brother oh yeah I got you <laughs> yeah Bruiser Brody mm-hmm I was I you was screw up with I, him you're only gonna do once go ahead Bill what were you saying you screw up with Bruiser you're only gonna do it once. Definitely. You know what I mean? And when we're all green, we've done silly things. Or we've done green, green guy stuff. So, I mean, uh, but when I started, we, we did a lot of wrestling in Australia. So, by the time I got here in 1975, I'd worked with Jim Barnett's crew, Brute Bernard, Skull Murphy, Mark Lewin, Speedo Sari, and all the guys back in the 30 years ago it was the stars. So, I kind of knew what we expect here. And and me and Barnes got over real good in Memphis, and he went home and left me by myself. So Mrs. Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett's mama said, he needs to be the good guy. So they switched me baby face, and here go. we are 40 years later. Well, then uh, uh, you did talk in the last show we had, John, your, your time in Australia. Let me ask, since you were you mentioned a lot of the traveling wrestlers, um, anybody that, that watches the international scene, uh, England, Japan, France, Germany, uh, they have a lot of their own style. You can watch a wrestler and know that he's he was trained in England, know that he was trained in Germany, know that he was trained in Japan. Did 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 you find that Australia had its own wrestling style, or was that so much of American wrestlers traveling to Australia that what you saw when you came to the States was identical? No, that part, yeah, but Australia had a guy by the name of Hal Morgan running all the wrestling in Australia with Australian boys. If you lived there before Barnett came here, we had wrestling in all the leagues, clubs, and the bars, and I think there was a lot of wrestling going on. And then Barnett showed up with championship wrestling. That's when Skull Murphy, Brute Bernard, Mark Lewin, Spiro Serene, all them guys showed up. So we did jobs for them. And we could all wrestle. Most of the guys were better wrestlers than the, than the, than Barnett's crew because we had to learn to wrestle. And the, the wrestling in the bars was different than the wrestling in Barnett's clubs. So 
it was just altogether different. But they they liked us because we put them over. Nobody said nothing. Did whatever. So then, when we came to Australia, me and Barnes in 1975, we had the Australian style plus the American style that we learned off Jim Barnett Championship Wrestling. So we kind of could do both. If nobody wanted to do the job, well, that would be all right. Just go to the ring. But the, the people say all that, but nobody just does that when you say, well, don't worry about it, son. Just go to the ring. They won't go. If they think they're going to have to go shoot, they won't do it. Okay. I like it. Uh, so so that was... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, I mean, I could wrestle a little bit better than most back in the good old days. So that was the thing. And then I just made me a litmus in the ring, but I wasn't scared of nobody. Well, speaking of your time in Australia, uh, Benny has a really good question for the origin of your character. Go ahead, Benny. I wanted to know where the name Dundee came from. <laughs> okay, I was born in a place called Kerrymuir, Scotland. I'm actually a Scotsman, and and I came here as a Scotsman, and then we told everybody I was from Scotland. But Lance Russell kept because I was living in Australia when I came here, so they knew I came from Australia to, to here, and Lance kept saying Australians. But George was the only Australian. I was from Scotland. So I said, fuck it, I'm not fighting this. I'm just going to be from Australia. So I just said, yeah, I'm from Australia. But I'm actually from Scotland. So the, the, the name Dundee was an homage to your Scottish heritage. Right. I was born in Kerry Mew, 12 miles from Dundee, the big, bigger town called Dundee, Scotland. So. Gotcha. My real name's Crookshanks, and I changed it from that to Dundee, and here we are, 40 years later, Bill Superstar Dundee. <laughs> Makes it a and the reason I changed it, because the other one was too long, too big. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Right. The, the, the more consonants you have in the name, the harder it is to put on a poster. Right. Right. Well, uh, Jason, I see you kind of nodding and smiling along to the questions. Uh, your next question is to you. What do you got? Uh, I'd like to go back to... Uh, some of that Benny said and uh, are talking about kayfabe. Uh, with kayfabe dead, um, what is, what is your drive these days to still wrestle? Is it just the love of being out in the crowd in the ring, uh, being with the boys? Uh, what what's your drive uh, these days to it? Well, it's just, I mean, that's what we do. And then when they call and say, hey, can you make Tupelo, Mississippi? I say, yeah, this will be what it costs. And if you want to pay me what I say, then I'll go. If they don't, they don't go. So I, it's, I always did it for money, but today it's really for money because if they're not paying what I want, I'm not going. Gotcha. And then when I get there, the other good thing is if it's a young green kid and they put you in the ring with him, he doesn't quite know what's going to happen. They just know Bill Dundee's been around for 40, 50 years and we'll see, but I don't take no liberties or no bet with the kids. I just start to have a good match with them, do the best we can. So, and I still enjoy the business. Do uh, do the, the the green wrestlers you mentioned? Uh, do they, you know, pull you aside, ask you, you know, for pointers or or you know how they could improve upon their craft or their character? 
not so much now. Ten years ago, it was more that way with the younger guys than it is today. The last ten years or so, it's just, you know, you go to the show, they do their thing, I do mine, we all go home. So, yeah, and then most of the time, they'll book me with Lawler or Dutch Mantel or somebody. They book two older guys, and that you don't have to fool with the younger guys. Gotcha. Well, then, um, that's actually a great segue, Bill. The one of the big complaints you, you don't really you said you, you're not up on the current product. One of the big complaints of the current product is there's a lot of talent, some mainstream talent that are self-taught. These are the the so-called backyard wrestlers that never went to a wrestling academy, never went to a wrestling school. They watched enough TV, played some video games and kind of I don't want to say figured out how to wrestle because some of them can't. But they were self-taught. And you can tell that a lot of what they're doing is just a cheap imitation of what they saw someone do. I'm wondering, in your experience, where you mentioned how the young guys uh, 10 years ago were more interested in learning than the current crop. Um, obviously, when you talk about legends like you and Jerry Lawler and whatnot, there's a lot of imitation. Have you encountered anybody that was blatantly trying to be the next Bill Dundee or a Bill Dundee ripoff? <laughs> now, that is very funny, because when I say this name, you're going to say, oh, yeah, how about the honky-tonk man? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually my next question. Yeah, how about the honky-tonk man? Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Dundee, Memphis, Tennessee, dyed black hair, Bill Dundee, him dyed black hair, jumpsuit, him jumpsuit. So, and and I ripped Elvis off, you may say. I mean, I was the first one to show up with a jumpsuit, but I got the idea from Elvis and blue-black hair. He had blue-black hair. I did, too. So, it it was, so the hockey talk would have been the closest to the kind of the rip-off, but that was all for Vince, you know what I mean? Right. Well, do, do you, when you saw the, the, the honky tonk man trying to do your, your bit, did, how did you feel about that? Was that kind of a, they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Did, did you yeah, appreciate and I, that? I like Wayne. Yeah, but I, I like Wayne. I get along good with him then. I get along good with him now. So, I mean, it, it, we're all trying to make a living. So, and he was with Vince. So, good luck to him. Okay. B Benny, you, you seem like you wanted to add something to that. Go ahead. Well, I remember the first time I saw the Honky Tonk Man. I said, holy crap, that's Bill Dundee with it. Um, right, right, right down to the dyed black hair. The sideburns, <laughs> everything. And yeah. Bill, did you ever have a chance to go to the WWE? Because I would have thought that would have been a great thing if you showed up uh, one day uh, on, you know, on the set with uh, your jumpsuit and your sideburns it, it, confronting the Honky it's a long, Man. It's a long story, and I will try to make it as short as possible we've already talked about the guy once i went up to vince's office up there in new york or wherever the hell he lives where does he live uh, stanford connecticut stanford connecticut yeah they flew me up to stanford and i was sitting in the chambers as you would call it and he's talking to me what are you doing? Da, 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 da. so then he asked the million dollar question is there anybody in my organization you don't get along with i said well there's a guy in your organization that don't get along with me, and I really don't know why, but, well, then he knew the answer to the question before he even asked it, so he said, well, who is it? I do know who it is. It's the freaking Undertaker. 
Really? Oh, I said, for whatever reason, he don't like me. I don't know and don't really give a damn, but that's who it is. So uh, if, if I had a chance to go, and if I didn't, or do whatever, I, I mean, I had a chance anyway. But the Undertaker don't care for me. I don't think he would have been a big fan of Bill Dundee coming to New York. So I have no earthly idea. That may be still be in my head, but I think that helped me not being there. So anyway... Okay. Just one of them things. Well, then, then let me ask you. We we had uh, talked about some some fantasy booking as we were organizing plans for a future show. When Jerry Lawler was in the WWF at the time and his his feud with Bret Hart and his King gimmick and eventually transitioning to announcing, as popular as he was, his King gimmick in the for under McMahon was very much a parody, almost a self parody of the, the Memphis Lawler. And I'm curious, how do you, how would you have been okay being uh, an almost semi comical version of Bill Dundee versus being superstar and kicking ass? Well, it just depends how far you would have went with it because I can do the comedy better than most, on most of them. I mean, I can do a comedy match, it's very funny. But, you know, and if I had to do that to make a living, if it was a good living, then I would have done it. But if I didn't, then I would have just been happy to be Bill Dundee, superstar. But I don't, I'd never got that far because the Undertaker do not care for me. Yeah, the, uh, he, 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 I mean, obviously his reputation precedes him, but he also had a lot of locker room power. So I could see why that wouldn't have worked out. Well, it, it, continuing, uh, that's actually a decent transition. You may not have ended up in the WWF, but you did have a stint in WCW. And a lot of people miss the fact, or maybe, um, I don't want to say forget, because I personally thought it was a memorable gimmick. Your your uh, Sir William character, when you managed a young, st- upcoming Stephen Regal, uh, right. how did that... How did that come about? The 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 transition to this from superstar Elvis to uh, <laughs> a blue blood. How did that conversation go? All right, this is the true story. Can you can I swear on this radio? Because yes, this it, is a adult program. I have to cuss on this because y'all have been around Dusty Rhodes much. Uh, you, you, you know, when Dusty talks with a lisp, he doesn't really has a lisp in real life. He puts that on. He says, hey, Pupatad, I love you, baby. That, that's how he talks in his Dusty Rhodes voice. So he calls me in the office one day, and he says, hey, Pupatad, he says, I got a new gimmick for you. I said, you do? He said, oh, yeah. He said, <laughs> I'm going to put you with Lord Stephen Regal. I said, you are? He said, yeah. And he said, you got any ideas how you'd like to do it? I said, well, yeah. How about the, the valet with the baller hat and the monocle and the striped pants and the shirt and all the other and the bow tie? And he, he said, that's a fucking good idea, brother. You just go ahead and you do that. Because the <laughs> other choice was Larry Sabisco. He was either going to put me to manage Larry Sabisco or Stephen Regal, and I thought me being a Scotsman and him being an Englishman would be a better fit than than Sabisco from New York. So anyway, that was the thing. That's how I got to be Sir William. That's that's funny, and I, I'm curious. Was there any kind of any kind of uh, 
preparation for that did you research or study anybody or was did that just because you mentioned your your chops for comedy which is true did did that come naturally how did how did that yeah i mean and and i knew what an english butler was i mean all the movies the english movie you watched and all the thing and then all the yeah so i mean i kind of knew what the part was so he wanted me to be the valet like not an idiot but you know to, to be under regal was the boss and i knew it type thing so yeah it, right. it was an easy part to play because I understood the part. Well, then let me ask you that. Uh, the, obviously, his career has been phenomenal as the years went on. He's often regarded as one of the better talents of his generation. When you when you got the chance to work with Steven Regal, did did you get that impression? Did you see this guy and go, this? you, you just knew he was going to be big or he was going to make it? Oh yeah, I mean he was—he was no idiot. I mean he could talk and he, and he had the English accent and he could wrestle. He could beat most people in the wrestling business today. And but back then, ten, fifteen years ago, he really could. So I mean it was—he he could wrestle and he could shoot. So I mean he—you he, know—and then the English accent and all the things he did. It was just you know. And then the, I have be me being the Lord's man, you know, him being Lord Stephen Regal and me being the little valet. I helped think it helped him get over so yeah it all worked out okay uh jason you you brought up the uh the wcw age when we were prepping for the show do you have uh, an expand on this or any questions you want to go uh yeah i do uh, i was curious uh uh when you were brought in why uh why did you switch to a manager instead of uh, a wrestler well that's the kind of what they wanted. I mean, Big Dusty was the one that brought me in, and and he he had that in his mind to put somebody with Regal. So then I, when I, when I talked to Big Dusty, I said, "Hey man, I'm a Scotsman and I understand the English Lord and all the other things. So if you're looking for a manager, I'd like to have a shot at it." He said, "Okay, baby, I'll keep you in mind," and that's how it all started. So whatever it took to have a job, you know what I mean? Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. How did you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Jason. Uh, I was just curious. Did you enjoy that more during that time, or did you uh, uh, wish you were in the ring uh, in some of those uh, fights? Oh, I mean, you, know, you always kind of wish you'd be in the ring or you do whatever. But I, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being Sir William, and I enjoyed being around Regal and all that. Yeah, no. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. But would I rather wrestle? Yeah, but whatever it takes to get a paycheck. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Right. Let Let me ask you. Uh, at the time, that was WCW's programming, and or what became WCW's programming, and the WWF. The the idea of a national wrestling show was still a relatively new concept. I mean, even though you would have viewers in the six figures watching your Memphis programs or your, your Louisville programs, the, the broadcast wasn't by any means a great distance. Did you, did, how did that, how did that work as, as being a performer, knowing that you were going out there every week on a national program versus I'm not going to be seen more than 50 miles from the studio? <coughs> I don't know how most guys are, but I, it never affected me one way or the other. If it was, this is the show we're making, and if it's going 50 miles around, that's good. If it's going 5,000 miles around, that's good, too. So I never really looked at how far it was going. I just we was on it, and that was do the best we can. 
Okay. Uh, Benny, then the, the next question will be to you. So, I, Bill, I grew up in uh, New York, Long Island, New York. Started watching wrestling in 1968. So I was all you know, WWF and then WWF. And um, eventually with the advent of cable and then the Internet, I got to watch some of the other territories, like the Mid-South, the Memphis, the Mid-Atlantic, etc. Um, one of the things that really fascinated me that the territories had that really the WWF didn't have was gimmick matches, uh, like hair versus hair or uh, loser leaves town. Or you know the the winner gets the 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 other man the losers managers services for so long. Yeah, you give him Stan lashes or something. Oh yeah, the the South was full of gimmick matches. Did did you like working those? Yeah, I had a wife that had her hair shaved, and I had mine done twice. So yeah, I mean, but there was a a dollar figure at the end of the of the haircut. You know what I mean? So there was an extra payoff for losing your hair. Oh yeah, it was it was what you agreed on before we did it. Okay. Well, then then let me ask you something from there, Bill. Uh, you talked about uh, a couple times tonight. You mentioned Dusty and, and the power, obviously, that the Bookers had backstage. It, how did how did that go about? Would they come to you? Was this a natural progression? Was this the the performers themselves? Uh, how much say did you have in? You know, I see where this feud's going next week, a week from a month from now. I'm willing to lose to, to get my head shaved. What was your participation in that? Or was it much like you said with Dusty? You know, you, you, you're doing it, baby. And that was it. Well, kind of, but there was a there was a dollar figure on it. And that was the main thing. So if you said, hey, man, I'll do it for five grand. And he said, well, let me get back with you. Well, you knew when he said that he was getting back with you with something. So whether it be thirty five hundred or four grand, but it'd be close to what you want. Right. So that okay. was done for money. Well, you know, I, 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 I always try and and keep the the human side, and we love the more the stories. And I actually laid out to the uh, fellow panelists about not talking specifically with matches and history, but I can't help myself since we were on the topic of gimmick matches of those styles. What was your fondest memory of a very unique match? Well, I mean, the scaffold match was unique, you know, because it was 20 feet above the damn ring and it was just, you know what I mean? So that there, you take the bump off the scaffold match. So, I mean, it was that was unique in itself. Then the hair match, I mean, nobody knows who's going over until the, the last bell. So that, and then when you have your wife sitting there and her hair's on the line, it, it was all different. <laughs> And and she's looking at you thinking, you son of a bitch, you. But anyway. Okay. So you, you leave your house with a, your wife with a full head of hair, and she goes home and she's shaved bald. Your <laughs> kids are looking at you like, what the hell happened? Oh, man. <laughs> the purse is full of green. Well, now now let me let me ask you something. As far as keeping character goes, how did that how did that go about? If you get seen by a fan or a friend, Oh my, you know, oh my goodness! Look at your hair. Yeah, I wouldn't have had to have shaved it if Bill had won his match last week. Like, do do you keep that that realism, or is it does right. that kind of fade yeah. with some of the gimmicks? No, it it's that way, and everybody was that way back then. So I mean, yes, you could let her head shave. She got paid X amount of dollars for it, so you you still. Well, Bill lost the damn wrestling match, and I had to get my head shaved. So I mean, but it was all over TV, so everybody knew. 
<laughs> that was happening. Beverly's hair's on the line, and Jerry Lawler's hair's on the line. Dundee wins. Lawler gets his head shaved. Dundee loses. His wife gets her head shaved. So Dundee lost, and she got her head shaved. So, I mean, everybody knew the end of the story. Right. Well, so how long were you in the doghouse for after that? <laughs> Just about to ask. Well, that. it was a real sizable check, so she was real happy. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Bye, nice work. Money can do a lot of things to people, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but she knew going in what it would be, so it wasn't like it was a surprise. So she got told what the X amount of dollars would be, sell out or not sell out. So that was that. I like it. Bill, um, as we, we get close to wrapping up our time, I was hoping to borrow you a bit. Uh, tonight, we're going to debut a new segment called Cut a Promo. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge, in this case, Jason, as the, the newest panel member. I'm going to give him a couple, two or three minutes to just cut a promo on whatever in the business is irritating him right now. And since we have a legend on the end, I was hoping you could critique or let him know as, as a man who's never been in the ring before how his promo skills are. Would you be uh, okay, okay with playing along? Yeah, I'd be good. Yeah. All right, Jason, you have, uh, I'll give you two or three minutes, whatever, whatever <sighs> is, is getting under your skin right now in wrestling. Could you get to cut a promo, cut a promo, Jason? Oh man. Put me on the spot. Hey, that's, oh, that's Jason, three minutes is a long time. Let me tell you, if they give you a three minute promo, that is a long friggin' promo. So if you run short halfway through, just quit. If I well, if I told you in advance, you could have prepared for it. That's exactly good. exactly. Well, like I said, I, I I'm upset about Kayfabe being dead. I want it back. I want the realism back. Let's bring it back. Right on this promo, bring it back. Wait, was was that it? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I gave you three minutes. I know. You know I know. 30, 30, Thirty left. seconds. <laughs> Jeez. Right, I uh, thought you, well, I was waiting on it to start. <laughs> <laughs> you really caught me off guard. <laughs> I hear you. Well, speaking of that, let, let's change that. Let, let's uh, real, real quick. How did you? How did you uh, uh, do promos and be put on the spot like that? How did it come easy for you? For me? Yes, sir. Well, I was usually the booker, so I I knew everything that was going on before we got the TV, so I knew everybody's promo. So, I mean, it went, for that part, it was easy for me. But when you're making it real, it, it's not hard to make a promo. You just say, Jason, I'm going to kick your backside next Friday when I see you, next Monday in Memphis, brother, and you better grab your best hold and hang on because I am giving you an ass kick and you will not forget. Wow, that just made my night. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> man, man the, the, the matter, no matter what else happens in life, the, the, the man could die happy telling people that uh, the, the great Bill Dundee cut a promo on him. Not, not, <laughs> I hear not, you. Thank you all. <laughs> you know what? That's not quite how I expected this segment to go, but I'll take it. All right. Uh, I hear you. That's <laughs> sweet. As we wrap up, Benny, you have a final question for Bill? It's more of a comment than a question, but I wanted Bill's opinion on something. So, you know, again, I grew up in New York. I had WWF Studio Wrestling with Vince McMahon. And I guess at one point, Antonio Rocca, then at some point, Bruno, and I guess later on was Pat Patterson. But then again, when I discovered the other territories, I had Mid-Atlantic with Bob Cottle, Mid-South yeah. Mid with Boyd, Boyd Pierce and J.R., 
you know, uh, championship wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley. And the, the one, uh, because I've watched a lot of Memphis wrestling lately, I really, really think that Lance Russell and Dave Brown were very the underrated. Uh, yes, amongst the best. Yeah, the broadcasters. And I just want, and I found out that Dave Brown was actually a weatherman in real life. Yeah, he worked for the Channel 5. He was the weatherman, yeah. And he, I guess he just recently retired, but did you like working with those guys? Yeah, Lance, Lance was very laid back, and Dave was very good at what he did. Yeah, I enjoyed working with him, yeah. And and there were students of the game. I mean, it wasn't like they just wandered in. If, if they had a tape to look at before they were went out on live Memphis TV, they watched the tape, and then they went out and talked about what they were what they were doing. If they had a match with Lawler and Gorgeous George and Son in the end, Two or three guys hit the ring and beat up Lawler. They would watch it then. They would they would know what they were talking about when they got out there. So they were students of the game too. Okay, I like it. You know, Bill, you have been a friend of the program, and you, like I mentioned, I can't express enough the the legend. I hope you understand how beloved and appreciated your career has been. The fact that you still have millions of fans. And, and your, your segments in the program in the past have been very highly rated. It has always, as a, as a wrestling fan, when I got into podcasting, it's moments like this that, that truly made it worth it. I appreciate all your time, and we hope to have you back. So thank you for, for everything. And do you have any parting words? No, just thank you all for the kind words. And anytime you want me, you got my number, just call. And I enjoy doing them. So, I mean, it's just, you know, what, what can you say? I mean, I for the hell of it. When the guy saw me back in 1962 and he said, a professional wrestler said, Bill, you ain't big enough. Well, here we are 50 years later. Something worked. Show, showed him. <laughs> well, thank, yeah. thanks again, Bill. You, you take care and we'll definitely be in touch to have you back. All right, guys. Thank you all very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. All right. Bye-bye, Mike. Bye-bye. Well, that was fun. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, I told you that that you, uh, want, you want some inside scoop and some, some straight talk. He's, right. he's the man. Wow. You know, it's funny. I'm going to transition here. He mentioned at the end there the, the head-shaving matches. And speaking of shaving, uh, I want to quick do a quick shout out to uh, Wrestling with the Future and our sponsors at Manscape. I can only imagine how much easier it would have been to shave shave everything with if they had had that back then. So for those uh, Manscape.com, it's you can use the promo code Wrestling Future, and for twenty percent off your purchase at, at uh, any of their packaging combo deals, that's uh, manscaped.com, Wrestling with the Future, for all your shaving needs, be it a good, bad, indifferent, or like he said, if you uh, you maybe not want to put your wife's hair on the line, but manscaped.com for all your shaving needs at Wrestling with the Future. So uh, transition, guys, from that, Jason, man, come on. I, I gave you I gave you a promo. You. I- <laughs> Hey, like 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 you said, uh, green. I'm a green uh, podcaster. You use six seconds out of 180. Uh, right? Yeah. You, right. you know what? That's that's time efficient, though. I, I gave you the chance, and you used about two percent of the time uh, I gave you. You could have hey, looked like, Let me tell you something, brother. I mean, you would have killed like five seconds there, right? Exactly. How you? Yeah. How are you gonna? I was just about to ask that. How are you gonna be on the show wearing a Hulkamania shirt and you not once drop a brother in your promo? Right. I should have. I should have had my warrior shirt on. 
I could have done the whole, you know, from the planes of the universe. Yeah, you could have cut a promo on some rocket fuel or something. Yeah. Uh. Oh, but that's that's great. And and it's Bill. I love having him on the show because we always look at the human side. And most of of us, uh, obviously, uh, of the three of us, I'm, I'm the youngest, but I still grew up in the territory days. And that's that's an, a style, uh, just a feeling. I mean, I remember where I lived at the time in Maryland. You had Channel 10 was the NWA, which went as far north as Baltimore. And then Channel 13 was the WWF at the time because they went as far south as D.C. So I got both. So, I mean, I could flip through and watch early you know, Junkyard Dog, and I could watch Ricky Steamboat. And then on the other channel, you had – your, your, your Roddy Pipers and Paul Orndorff. And, and then obviously some of the local stores had the, had the territory tapes and that's how I was able to keep up with things like Memphis and, and some of that. So to get that, to, to get the inside perspective, Bill's a, a huge, huge fan or a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of his is what I meant. And, and he's a friend of the show and he's got some stories. So what do you guys think, Jason? That's the first chance either of you have had to talk to him. Uh, it, it was, uh, an honor. And again, I, I, uh, really, uh, appreciate the invite to be able to, uh, talk with him. I've, uh, like I mentioned, I've seen some of his interviews on YouTube and, um, I, it, it was good. I, I like hearing about the territory days. Uh, you know, like I've said, I, I've, you know, I miss kayfabe and just listen to the stories and listen to how the fans uh, were. You know, you had the 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 constant or the uh, returning fans where that you know, if somebody wasn't there in one of the seats, you knew who was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I missed that, and um, I kind of saw that in our local uh, India v, uh, VFW with uh, uh, with some of our uh, people. You see the the regulars. And you see how their right. relationships are. So uh, it, it had it gave me a mind it's like, man, I wish I you know was back in the, you know back in Memphis in those days and being able to go to those shows and have that right. relationship. Well, I think it's 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 interesting too. And Benny, I know you you can back me up on this. If you look at the tapes, half that crowd, maybe more, were. Older people. I mean, you had your your famous, you know, the grandmas in the front row trying to trying to hit Jim Cornette with her umbrella, or the the like I mentioned the the you know the the old man who would who would jump the barricade to to help uh, Terry Taylor if he was getting a beat down. You don't have that anymore with the current crowd. It, it's it's not even just the transition for, to the PG family friendly product. But as the territory days died out and wrestling became more of what it is today, that older audience kind of lost interest. And there's nothing today that's going to bring them back. It's it's a shame because, you know, uh, I, I was listening recently to uh, Jim Cornette had had some numbers that he was throwing out. And he talked about uh, the the Raw had something like two million viewers. And at its peak, it was eight million which if you look at the numbers, uh, Raw was getting 8 million and WCW was getting 6 or 7 million. So you got 14, 15 million people on one night. But then back in the back in the 70s and 80s of the territory days, Memphis, Louisville, Austin, Houston, Dallas, Florida, all these territories would get huge numbers 
every week. You had 30, 40 million people watching wrestling every week. And those are, I mean, those are numbers you'll never see again. Uh, so, Benny, as we touch on that, uh, Bill being the great host for that, what are your thoughts on on where wrestling can can go? It'll obviously, that, that era is gone. Where do you think it can go from here? It's a shame because just to be able to, like, as a fan growing up, like I say, it's 1983, I live in Memphis. I'm planning my schedule every week to, to be in that Mid-South Coliseum on Monday night. I'm not even sure right. what the ticket prices were, if they were expensive or, you know, relatively bad, you know, back in that day. But, like, I wanted to be there because the, the big thing is I believed. I believed in those guys. The fact that those guys, and it was horrible, but some of those guys got their tires slashed. I mean, some even got shot at, stabbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when uh, Larry Zabisco talked about after he turned on Bruno that sometimes people, he had to be driven to an arena in the trunk of a car. Yeah. Just wow. to not get, like, killed i mean but we yep. the fans nowadays they don't have that emotional investment anymore I, it's gone i i saw an interview back with uh stan lane and he was talking about the the heat the midnight express got that when they were the the, the dastardly tag team and he said they would get their tires slashed and they would have cars vandalized and it got to the point where they had to get a police escort to the arena and he said the first night they had the police escort they came out at the end of the night and the police the cruiser that drove them to the arena had slashed tires like mm-hmm. fans figured out which car was was taking the midnight express right. home and went after a police car like you and now don't get me wrong I'm not advocating slashing tires but and all at all, but that that emotional investment, even really, I would say going into the the nineties, where my generation was starting to become teenagers, you still had uh, your your Yoko you know, Hulk Hogan and Yoko Zuna, and you had uh, uh, the 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 tri- the trilogy between uh, Flair and Steamboat and Flair and Vader. You still had that kind of. I hate to to throw the 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 overused quote out, but that's still real to me. Damn it, feel. And at some point, it, that went away, and wrestling transitioned from trying to be a real sport to being a stunt show. Even to the point where the announcers. I mean, I think that's something I give NWA. If you guys haven't watched NWA Power, I, I, I give them. Yeah. I give them credit for is it's very much. Product produced like a television show in that it almost it, it's as if you're watching a sitcom about wrestling more than mm-hmm. an actual wrestling show. Right. But the announcers talk as if what you're watching is a real sport. They don't spend the entire match talking about some backstage segment or pitching Pepsi or something like that. I mean, I, I remember the the good stretch where uh, Michael Cole spent more time talking about Snickers than he did about the upcoming WrestleMania feuds, and just that little hint of realism call it like it's real tell it like it's real uh that was something jim ross used to talk about when they would record after the fact they would record the show without announcers at ringside and then this was in obviously the early wcw crockett days and then they'd give the announcers the tapes and the announcers would call it like it was a real sport like what they were watching was I'm, i hate using the word real like that but what they were watching was a, an actual competition and that just little nuance is gone and yeah. it's it's sad. It so, is. It, uh, it is. As we as we wrap up, gentlemen, I, I appreciate you guys being here. Jason, do you have any parting thoughts? Uh, like you said, it, it uh it, it is sad that it's like that. I mean, it, it's 
it's more of a stunt show going to see a, a stunt show these days. Uh, I'm actually kind of disappointed in AEW like when I heard them get ready to start. You know, they were going to they talked about not having crazy stories. It wasn't going to be scripted. Well, it's WWE light in my yeah, opinion. They they um, pitched it. They pitched it as what they called sports sports like wrestling, even to the point where they were going to keep statistics and everything. Yeah. But, so, uh, like you, I, I missed that. It just it reminds me of when I used to watch uh, Crockett with my grandfather. I mean, growing up, I loved you know WWF, Hogan, Warrior, but you know memories of going over my grandparents and watching Crockett and later WCW. Just it it was real. He was a big Four Horsemen fan. You know, it just mm-hmm. you know does always bring back memories and. Um, yeah, I, I hope one day, you know, they will uh, change. And I'm sure, you know, you know, it, it's it's uh, uh, by the ratings. So, you know, if the ratings start taking again, you know, they'll find something that's going to change it. Kind of a what's what's old is new again sort of yes. thing. I can understand yeah, correct. that. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because uh, I, I look at the NWO as the last bastion of Yes, where where part a lot of people forget, and and for our younger viewers, part of the appeal when the NWO started was there was an almost sense of how much of this is real and how much of this right. is them scripting to the point where the, the old school message boards, you know, oh man, Scott Hall's secretly working for Vince McMahon, like right. y- you you had that aura of realism, and, and I it, think that's part of what made that work, and that was the last. Really, in my my memory, I think that's the last time I ever watched wrestling with any semblance of realism in my mind. Exactly. When the Attitude Era started is when we started getting into this, you know, uh, kayfabe dying, and mm-hmm. you know, um, and to the point now that just it's it's they talk about matches even before they start or the storylines before they start. Um, it. There's no, I mean, it's like somebody going to see a, a, a big movie like Avengers or Star Wars and spoiling the movie for you. I, I don't care to, to see, you know, Jericho talking about, you know, how he's going to beat so-and-so or how this match, we planned it for a month or so. You know, it mm-hmm. just it takes the mystique, the suspense out of it. Yeah, no, that that's a fair point. And that's something that's been in some some high profile angles recently benny i think we touched on this in one of the previous shows you were on where you have somebody like edge's return in the wwe which was a huge moment and his first he comes out on raw and talks about we traveled all over and you and i rode together and we would sit in the back and plan the, these the best matches we were going to have and we knew we were and it's like okay so your entire gimmick now is your you, you and Randy Orton are fighting for real, but not actually for real because it's not real. It was it was it was silly. And the the I, I touched on it last time with the recent Becky Lynch when when she announced her pregnancy, where she cut the promo of I got to play this character and uh, it's my dream come true. And she completely destroyed the aura of the man that she had. So, yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, hopefully one day um, things get better. But. I mean, I'm I'm stubborn, so I'll I'll keep watching, regardless. You know, not as much as I used to, but but I, I still still keep up. Uh, Benny, do you have any closing thoughts? Well, I, I guess this is 
as profound as I'll, I'll ever get. But, you know, back in the day when I went to the Nassau Coliseum to see Bruno, I bought a ticket to see Bruno because I was emotionally invested in Bruno. I didn't care if he did a triple moonsault or, you know, nowadays some of the moves sound like something you buy, order in a bar. You know, they can't <laughs> even pronounce the things. But, but I, because I love Bruno. That's why I went. That's why I bought my ticket. I don't even know why they buy tickets now. They, they buy tickets maybe they're emotionally invested in high spots. Well, but they're not invested in the wrestlers. No, you're right. And that's, that's actually something that came up on a previous broadcast where you're more a fan of the product than you are of any individual character. And that lack of star power is what's hurting the ratings because you don't have anybody that you can hang your entire company on. Yes, you might have a champion. You might have somebody that maybe pops the ratings a little bit. But you don't have a Hulk Hogan. You don't have a Ric Flair. You don't have a Bruno who will sell out Bruno what how many how many consecutive Madison Square Garden sellouts they had 188 with, in total I think it yeah I mean you're talking tens of thousands of tickets a month just to see Bruno they don't care about the product years. or the match I, I they bought it to see Bruno they you right. know when I was a kid and I turned on wrestling I wanted to see Hogan and and Steamboat and the Macho Man I didn't care that it was the WWF or the NWA or the local promotions or Crockett I wanted to see these individual wrestlers, and I went out of my way to see them. There's nobody today that fans go out of their way to flock to, and you can see that with these wrestlers that change promotions and the ratings don't change, so their fans didn't really follow them. Uh, it's I don't know. Well, like I said, we'll see. But um, hopefully, I mean, we always uh, always try and end on a high note, so hopefully things will get better, and we look forward to Bill coming back so jason thank you for being here benny thank you for being here uh, i want to do a quick uh, shout out a plug for us uh, wrestling with the future obviously we're on youtube wrestling with the future we are on facebook at wrestling with the future we have a private facebook group wrestling with the future podcast wrestling with the future is on twitter at wrestling future that's no g wrestling future i personally am on twitter the man underscore wwtf so for jason for benny the BS Express, which I love that nickname, by the way. The Bearded Wonder as well, Jason. Uh, I'm Dan the Man for Wrestling with the Future. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time.